Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of Bison Hour. Uh, I have Hank Bacchus here. Hank is an entrepreneur in Oklahoma City. He's actually won um, a massive entrepreneurship or Entrepreneur of the Year award. Um, Hank does mainly his business in uh, brokering business deals, so buying and selling businesses. So we're going to have Hank on the mic and interview him today. Thanks for being on the show, dude. Absolutely. Thanks, Dakota. Um, so tell us a little bit about where you grew up, you know, where you're from and just kind of your whole background so that we can kind of lay a foundation yeah, for that story. So yeah. born and raised here in Oklahoma City. I've lived 95% of my life here. Um, went to school in Dallas. Okay. Was there four years, went and worked in Tulsa for one year. And then the rest of the time I'm back here. So I love Oklahoma City. It's what I call home. I, I, I want this city to thrive and be the best place to live and grow and own a business. I love that. There's uh, there's so much opportunity here in Oklahoma and there's a lot of people that hate living here. And you're just like, do you like Oklahoma? And they're like, yeah, not really the biggest fan, but I think it's because they're people that have never lived outside of Oklahoma before. Yeah. And then I realize how actually, like what a gem Oklahoma City is and what, what the potential is here. Cause I agree, I think Oklahoma yeah. City could be, gosh, just a thriving, just, incredible city. Yeah, we're not, uh, you know, we're not Dallas. We're not San Antonio and we never should be. We should just be who we are. Sure. Uh, and like I said, I lived in Dallas and I couldn't wait to get out of there. Yeah. Um, so. So what part of, what part of Oklahoma City did you grow up in? Yeah, I grew up in Oklahoma City, like Northwest 39th and Portland okay. area. Okay. Um, my parents still live in the house that they built. Um, and, you know, my journey is, yeah, I do business brokering, business valuation, commercial real estate now, but that is not, that wasn't my intention. Sure. That's not what I wanted to do when I grew up. Yeah. It's the path that I've, you know, evolved into. Yeah. I actually went into family business. Okay. So my family owned a, uh, a lumber company, a, a hardware store, a home center type business, and ended up selling that business when it was 92 years old. The company that bought me was actually 117 years old. So we'll rewind that real yeah. quick. Um, so grew up in Oklahoma City, and your parents own, mm -hmm. you know, uh, lumber company, mm -hmm. hardware store, mm -hmm. all of that. At what age did they turn that business over to you? They're like, "Hey, son, this has been in the family for yeah. You're now the fourth generation. I was the to fourth generation. Yeah. Jeez. yeah. Here's the business. Yeah. And then you went around. You turned around and sold it. Yeah. So the the long story in a short version is so my great-grandfather started the company and mm -hmm. he he followed the oil business okay. in oklahoma so he sold rig timbers and oil mud to the the booming oil business in oklahoma gotcha well then my grandfather came in and changed it into being a home center you know where he would open up these actual physical brick and mortar stores mm. and, and and instead of just moving with the oil field so then my dad came in made it into more of a, a farm and ranch kind of uh, DIY store. Sure. And that, uh, you know, did him well. Then I come in and, you know, you've got big box stores that are opening. So we evolve into doing really construction supply, building homes, commercial uh, development, you know, bigger type projects because I don't want to compete with Home Depots and Lowe's and those kind of things. So we evolved into that. Um, what age were you when you took that over? Yeah. So I, let's see. Got out of college at 22, worked for another company for a year, so 23, and then I came back at 23 and worked with my dad. Okay. So at 23, I came back into the business full time. Of course, I worked there in high school, and you know, at the time, I said, you know, I am never doing this. Yeah. It's like 
I don't want to do this job because it's super labor intensive, right? Yeah. And it's hot in the summer and you're sweating and it's cold in the winter and you're outside. So I just knew I didn't want to do it. But, you know, through college, I wanted to be in business. Sure. And so I, being into a family business gave me that foundation where I didn't have to go start something. Yeah. It was already created, had great employees at the time. Um, and so then when I, I want to say, because I, I remember I got married in 2007 and I, that is the year that I started to buy my dad. Um, so I started to buy him out in 2007. Uh-huh. And that was on, a, I, I think, maybe an eight or 10 year payout as I was, he was owner financing me. Sure. And so I didn't have the money to go pay him for the business. Mm-hmm. A bank wouldn't loan me the money. So he was the bank. And I would pay him a little bit every month. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the year, you know, we theoretically had to make a profit so that I could pay him back the the larger note once a year. Yeah. So for like the, the listeners out there, because um, a lot of people, you're in the business brokering business. Yeah. There are a lot of businesses that will owner finance. Yeah. Is that correct? Like the owner's like, yeah, just pay me out over 10 years and stuff like that. So how does one of those deals, like, like what does that look like when it's structured? Just the business is, you know, evaluated at this amount. Yeah. Pay me out a certain amount over this many years. And so the new business owner can step in with little to no cash I had down. No, I had no money down. Yeah. yeah. And, and just work and basically put in that sweat equity and pay the old owner off yep. with the profits of the business. That's right. And then if you can grow the business past that, you can keep yep. everything else on top. Yeah. So the way that it works in one, the M&A or business brokering world is if you're going to own or finance a deal, there's only really two reasons why you're doing that. One, you know the person, mm-hmm. like you've got some history, like a guy walking off the street, you're never going to do that. Sure. So that's the first thing. It's like there's a key employee or key management or family member that's coming in. Okay. Like in my situation, the other only reason you're doing it is because a bank won't loan against your business and you can't get it financed. That's the only other reason. So in my deals, there's very little owner financing that happens. Sure. And the reason is because I work with the business and so we make sure that it's valued and listed properly mm-hmm. so that a bank will lend against it. And therefore, there is no owner financing. So an owner gets a check at closing mm-hmm. as opposed to you know, taking it on and, and carrying that note. Now, sometimes an owner will want some of that because there's tax advantages to defer, but sure. it doesn't have to happen if the business is in a good position. Right. So when, when you took over the business for your dad, yep. you were mentioning before the show that that is where um, you really started to kind of find your little niche or find yeah. what you were really good at. Yeah. Um, you even received an entrepreneur of the year award. Is that a national award? Or yeah. Is that yeah. Really? Okay. So, yeah. so you won this national award for entrepreneurship of the year What or entrepreneur of the year. What, uh, what year was that? Gosh, I want to say probably 2010. Okay. 2011. So uh, after the rebuild of the, yeah. the market crashing, everything like that, yeah. you came out of the ashes oh, wait, like a Phoenix, terrible. bro. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about that. So you're running your dad's company. Where did things really start taking off for you? And then where, where did you start to learn what you were good at yeah. to then start applying that into your next endeavors? Yeah. So, you know, we talk about like, uh, you know, college education or degree mm. that didn't serve me in coming back into a blue collar lumber construction supply business. Like they're, uh, you know, they taught you how to run a fortune 500 company. Mm-hmm. They didn't teach you how to run a company at the time that had probably 30 employees and was doing, at the time we were doing about 5 million in revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't teach you how to do that. They don't teach you how to li- literally look at a P&L and go, gosh, here's where the leaks are happening. Here's where the problems are. Here's where I can 
you know, increase my margins. So I just, I mean, it was a slow process. Sure. You know, it's hitting singles. You don't hit home runs. You just have to hit singles and it takes years. And there would be, I just constantly had a list of a hundred things that I knew I needed and wanted to improve. And some of them might've taken two years. Some of them might've taken six months, but there were things that just had to be done. Sure. Um, I struggled with, you know, as an entrepreneur, you were really good at ideas, right? You know, it's like create and go and grow and sales. Right. So those were things that I was good at. I was not good at leadership, Mm -hmm. dealing with people, Mm -hmm. getting them to buy in to my vision. So I learned early, you know, there was two ways to earn respect. And the first way that I thought was, oh, I got to outwork everybody. Mm -hmm. I'm going to earn their respect by outworking them. That goes so far. Sure. The other way is you own it because of the position you've been given, Mm -hmm. whether you own the business or you're given a title of president or manager or whatever. So there's two ways to get respect. You you show them how you're going to work and you just own it. And when I realized yeah, I can't earn everybody's respect, but I'm in this position for a reason. You just got to go with it. And you will, as an owner, come up with ideas that people think are the dumbest, worst idea. Mm -hmm. But it's your idea. It's your baby. You have to believe in it. And if you can get them to buy into it, then, man, you've won. And that's the hard part that I really struggle with, getting them to buy into my vision. The idea and getting them, yeah. I think when it comes to growing an employee labor force, yeah. I've been part of you know a company that's really good at, at helping every employee grasp the vision. Right. And it's insane that the exploding growth that can come from that. But yeah, if that's not your forte and your niche, like it can only take you so far with totally. However. You know, I learned the hard way, like there's a saying that a leopard always has spots. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what that means is I'm, it's really hard to change people. Sure. Really is. And I'm not a therapist. Yeah. I'm not going to work with you through your problems mm. personally to get over that. So a leopard always has spots. I thought in the beginning I could overlook certain character traits in a hire and hope that my being nice to them and cultivating them would work through those problems. Doesn't work that Doesn't way. work. No. Leopard always has spots. And so I just realized, like, look, there's these certain characteristics that are deal breakers. Mm -hmm. And if they had those, it's not going to work for our culture. Um, and I think sometimes as entrepreneurs, we think, Oh, I've got to be this place where people can grow and cultivate. And I'm in that, but not really. Yeah. I've learned that lesson the hard way. And it's actually one that I'm learning still, but like in pest control, you know, getting guys to come out and knock on doors and sell pest control for you is not uh, the most glamorous job. Right. And so there's a lot of resistance from new people that we recruit to come out and do it. So sometimes the more humble and willing people to come out and do this job have a lot of um, weaknesses and tendencies that originally I thought I could work out of them. Originally I thought it's like, hey, and I, I, for some of them, to be honest, you know, I'll credit to them. Yes, like they, they, did want to take the next step in their life. But for some, it's like a leopard doesn't change its spots. And yeah. it has cost me, I want to say it's cost me millions for hiring the wrong the people wrong and having them part of my organization right. um, for so long, just trying to overlook their inadequacies, overlook their weaknesses, overlook um, the destruction they were doing to my business. 
And it's, it's so interesting. As soon as you get rid of them, as soon as you cut them, the stress goes away. Right. And it's like, how was I operating a business with these people for so long and not even aware of it? And we're going through a similar lesson with, with my tow trucking company. Um, we just had to fire all of our employees because my business partner running the business, same thing, mm. wanted to be everybody's friend, wanted to be nice, wanted to be, you know, um, caring of their needs and everything like that. Well, the problem is, is if your employees don't respect your authority or anything like that, they start to take advantage of you. Mm -hmm. And what started to happen with us is our, uh, our tow truck drivers kept making all these mistakes, which cost us a lot of money. And we just cleaned house. Um, we had to let go of literally all, every single driver that we had and we're hiring the right people to come on board now right. because yeah, you can't do that. And that's, that's a very important, just for the viewers out there, that's a very important lesson to learn as an entrepreneur with your employees. You have to find the right people to hop on board early if you're gonna expect your company to grow at the rate that you're expecting to grow. If not, you're just setting yourself up for setbacks. Yeah, you know, so. the reason A players leave your company mm. is because of C players. Yep. And, and if you don't, and it's always funny when you like get rid of that C player, you know, then everybody starts coming out of the woodworks and go, oh, they were so bad. Did you know what they were doing? Yeah. And you're like, you didn't tell me about this? Like, this has been going on? Yep. I've been and, through this exact same scenario. Like, you you yeah. got to be kidding me. Like, if everybody was seeing it, why didn't I see it? Yeah. And you, normally you do. You just got to go with your gut and you go, gosh, my, you know, the question you always got to ask is if you had to do it over again, would you rehire that person? No. And 99.999%, it's no. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, one time I fired my top salesman yeah generating millions in top line revenue but was an absolute nightmare yeah in terror yeah and it, it you know it's like gosh man we're gonna lose these sales and i was just debating and debating and debating and then you just got to rip the band-aid off yeah and is it initially hard yeah but that's just a short-term problem. Yeah. It's, you fix the long-term. It, it's gotten better. And same thing, I've literally fired three to five of my top producers over the last two years, and it's insane the the difference that it's made in my business in the in the better. Right. So I've, I totally understand. It's interesting sitting down with all these entrepreneurs, right. how literally the same problems that yeah. you guys mentioned are the same yeah. struggles you have to overcome. Yeah. They're the same struggles that all of us are, are going through and right. stuff like that. So I love connecting. So, so you're part of your dad's business, right? Going back to that, um, where, where, what was the niche there? Where, mm -hmm. where were you able to one get recognition for okay. your entrepreneurship sure. award? But what were you doing in that company to really start turning the gears to, yeah, to make it good? So the business is uh, super blue collar, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, when you think about a house that's being built, literally houses have been built the same for a hundred years. There's no difference. There's no, it's not like a tech company where you're creating these new apps and things are changing. It's like, there's a foundation of concrete, studs go out, roof goes on, insulation, drywall. I mean, the same thing. Right. And so it's a commodity. So what that is, is OSB, lumber, plywood, all that stuff is traded on the Chicago Mercantile. It's a, it's a number that's traded. So I don't set the price of plywood. The market sets it. So if the market says it's at 10 bucks, man, you hope you bought it for eight and yeah. can sell it for 10. And so there, it's a commodity, it's traded. So you can't take advantage of being like, oh, I'm gonna buy this better and spread out my margin. So you have to differentiate yourself. You've gotta do something different than everybody else. And so in, when I came in, 
you know, I just looked at one. We we didn't have financials. We didn't have P and Ls. We didn't have inventory. Like we had no idea. Like it was a, a fourth generation business that was slapped together for yeah. So I, long. It was yeah, you know yeah. it was doing what it was doing and it was good at the time, but like no tracking, mm -hmm. nothing. And so I was like, well, gosh, how do we even know what we're doing if we can't track and check inventory? So took years to get that up and running mm -hmm. a point of sale system and inventory and cycle counting and blah, 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 stuff that's so boring, Yeah, but you have to do it. Mm. So that was like step one. We got to know what we got. Yeah. What do we have to sell? Just in time inventory, make sure that we're stocked up. So that when somebody wants to buy it, we've got it. And then it was just being creative and taking ideas from any industry and applying it to my business. So, yeah, give us some examples of that. What what ideas did you take and apply? Yeah, so I remember the first time I took an Uber ride, right? So you download the app, mm -hmm. and I'm sitting on my phone, and I'm watching this car icon get closer to me and closer, and then, boom, it's like right there. Yeah. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I want to do this with my delivery fleet. Mm -hmm. So in my business we would get calls all the time. Where's my delivery? Where's my delivery? The builder's on the job site. His crew's there. It's mm -hmm. costing him money. He's mad. Where's my delivery? So like, and then we would hang up the phone. Call the driver. Call the driver. Mm -hmm. Where are you? I'm lost. I'm at the gas station, blah, blah, blah. So <clears throat> I was like, okay, we there's got to be a way around this. So there's been fleet tracking on commercial fleets forever. Mm -hmm. We had it. I had them on these GPS units on all of our trucks. We didn't really know how to use them or, or didn't use it to the best of the ability. So I was like, okay, there's got to be a way. So I called the company. I said, hey, I want to be able to send a link to my whole fleet to my customer so that he can watch. And they're like, oh, we don't, we don't do that. That's not something we do. And I was like, you know, I, I if somebody tells me no, I want to do it myself mm -hmm. to, to prove, okay, yeah, it can't be done. Yeah. So somebody tells me no, it's like, oh, man, I'm just challenged to do it more. So – we switched fleet companies, GPS. I said the same thing. I'm like, hey, here's what I want to do. Can you do it? And they're like, well, we've never done that before. I was like, well, let's walk through the scenario. So eventually we were able to, we had a link that we would text the second that our trucks were loaded and going out the door to the customer, to mm -hmm. the builder, to the contractor. And they would push the button and they would watch the truck on our GPS system that we paid for mm -hmm. follow to their job site. So don't call, you've got the link. So, yeah. you know, th and that's like, that was something that's like, okay, that nobody was doing that. Yeah. And, and this is just a simple thing that I just remember the first time I took an Uber thinking, oh my gosh, this is awesome. Yeah. There's an important lesson in there that you mentioned too, because a, a lot of times as an entrepreneur, you're going to have to wheel and deal and go to other businesses and stuff like that. And what I think a lot of new entrepreneurs don't understand, and this is a lesson that I had to learn too, is at first, no, um, doesn't mean you have to stop looking. You right. go to the one company you're using and they say, nah, we can't do something like that. Like to be able to turn around and just go tell another company what you need and have them, you know, they might be a newer company. They might need more revenue. They might be like, yeah, honestly, we've been waiting on a project. Like, let's go ahead and build something out for you yeah. like this. But it's the, the will to make things happen um, even when you get the first note or the second note yeah. or the third note. And yeah. it's just like, uh, 
most people stop after that first no. Another thing too is businesses set their own ideas and their own rules too. Mm -hmm. It's not like we all operate like under federal law or like, uh, you know, state law or anything like that. Like the laws are pretty cut and dry. In business, you create your own set of laws and rules. And if people want to do business with you, they have to, uh, you know, subscribe to that. They have yeah. to be willing to Play abide better. by the rules that you've set. And what a lot of people don't understand is businesses typically can bend their own rules when it makes sense for them. Mm -hmm. So that's where sales comes in. Mm -hmm. You make it make sense for them. They're willing to bend your rules and then you're able to get your way. Right. And then you're able to get what you need and then your business thrives. So right. again, important lesson for the and, listeners. And again, going back to like, you talked about like what differentiates yourselves. We, we sold commodity, right? Mm -hmm. So anybody could buy a two before anywhere. So you, I had to do something that made it different. The next thing I did was, you know, okay, now they can track the trucks. Our trucks look like the ghettoest, old, dirty, mm -hmm. like some were red, some were white, some were yellow, some were green. There was no uniformity. So I went to a local Oklahoma City vendor and we wrapped our trucks. Mm -hmm. But I didn't wrap them like the boring, like lumber delivery. Yeah. They were a World War II airplane pilots with the mouth and the teeth and the eyes. Mm -hmm. And you could not not see those things. They're showstoppers. Driving down the road. Did they have anything to do with lumber? Heck no, they didn't. But they were a huge attraction. Yeah. And then we would do in the, like the local newspapers, like before social media viral stuff, I would we would say, hey, if you are a young kid and you see one of our trucks, take a picture of it and submit it to us and you can win a prize. So we were creating in the communities yeah. a desire for the young kids who were going to be my future customers yeah. to be looking for our trucks. Let's talk about this too. Um, so you have young kids sending in photos. And again, this is before social media. I think a lot of times entrepreneurs are held up on the fact that they think that their idea won't get as large or as big as it could be yeah. initially off the bat. So they don't even try. Yeah. And at the time you're not trying to reach a national demographic of customers to drop ship them, whatever. You're just looking for local yeah. people. And when you guys did that campaign, what was your your main goal? Like if we can get X amount of people to, to from from this marketing campaign that we have, yeah. you know, it, yeah. it'll all make sense. It, it, it's about owning the market share. Mm -hmm. And one idea that we came up with that never was employed, uh, I, I wanted to have, uh, if you got a company tattoo, if you got a tattoo of my company name on your arm, I was gonna give you a 50% discount of everything, lifetime, and and we I couldn't quite get the you know the attorneys to sign off on this, but it was something that I was I was dead, dead set on. Settled, yeah, I was like, this is something that I want somebody to have a tattoo of the company name that gets them something. And so, I mean, there would have been people to do it. Um, and you know, it, and so what I wrestled with too is I had some employees that wanted to be on. You know, again, we're talking 08. Sure. Facebook was not my thing. Mm -hmm. I didn't care about it, but they wanted to be on it all the time, making mm -hmm. friends. And they would be like, oh, we have, you know, 5,000 friends on Facebook. But I never, uh, we never attributed any sales to those 5,000 friends on Facebook. Sure. So I, I told the people, like, we're wasting our time. Like, we need to be in and out, post those things, and move on. Now, today, world it's, it's totally a different story different, right yeah. but uh you know at that time we were i had people that were wasting our time doing too much 
social media stuff. And it's still, it can be a waste today. And if it's not an ROI, you need to not be doing it. Yeah. Yep. It doesn't make sense to be in business if you're not making money. Yeah, you have to. I mean, it's the only reason you're in business. Yeah. It's the only reason. And, and, and if people are watching this and they say, no, I got to, I want to change the world and I want to save the environment. Yeah. But if you don't make profit, Mm -hmm. you will not be in business. Yeah. A lot of times people have dreams, they have ideas, they have goals. And it's like, oh, I know I can just work hard enough and get it. It's like, yes, yes, you can. But here's the, the, the hang up for most people is how are you going to finance those dreams and goals? Yeah. Because between the 40 hours you're working, you know, a nine to five job and the meager money that you make, how are you going to have time for your side hustle that's going to produce all this income to eventually take over your full time job? It's possible. You just have to understand that you need the capital to do so. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't come without turning a profit. Yeah. That's why it's important for yeah. businesses to make money. So uh, you came into your dad's business or your grandpa's business, great-grandfather's yeah. business. You helped build the infrastructure mm-hmm. to then know how to turn a profit and mm-hmm. then built out all these other avenues to then generate more income. Mm-hmm. And then where did the decision to sell that business come in? So how long did you work there? You built it up to, um, I guess, what value did you build it up to? Mm-hmm. And then you were able to turn and sell it. And then tell us a little bit about that story. Okay. So um, the exit story, again, you know, when people say, well, how long does it take to get my business ready? You know, it all depends, right? Mm-hmm. M- my business had good bones, but needed a lot of work. Mm-hmm. So I came back in 03 and we sold in 17. So there's your time frame. Dang. Um, and it's 15 years. Yeah. Um, but in that time, you know, we were doing a lot of things. So we ended up being, you know, the, the best year that I was having was the year that I sold. Mm -hmm. So we were continuing to grow. We'd had, you know, nice upward momentum. And when you got that momentum, that's when you take advantage of it. That's when at the peak you You sell the business. Yeah. And so we'd ended up being about, we were doing over 10 million in revenue annual as opposed to five. So we doubled Mm. and you know, there's tons of headaches that come along with growing like that. We had six locations, a corporate office in Oklahoma city, 50 employees, 22 trucks, forklifts, uh, probably about two and a half million dollars in inventory, a million dollars in AR, Mm -hmm. meaning people that owed us money. Yeah. Um, and I got to the point where I was like, okay, I've done everything that I can to grow this business, to go to the next level, to go from 10 million to 20 mm-hmm. was going to require a lot of capital. So my business was heavy capital intensive, which just means we took a lot yeah. of money. It, it required a lot of money to operate it. We had to have land, real estate, inventory, all those things. And I didn't want to do that. Mm. I, you know, there's, there's a, a, the old rule that says, you know, the golden rule right? Which the golden rule is whoever has the gold makes Makes the rules. rules. And I wasn't willing to take on additional partners. Mm -hmm. I didn't want that. I wanted to be the sole controller. And I had debt. I had debt for new construction. I had line of credit debt. I didn't want any more. So we had gotten to the point where I knew the next step was either I got to go acquire new locations or I need to exit. Mm. And that was the ch- path I chose. I chose ladder. Chose the exit. Yep. So tell us a little bit about that. When you yeah. sell a business, yeah, is it just money hits the account the next day and you're like, man, I'm free. I just walk away from this. Or was there a period where you had to kind of help 
the new owner come in and learn the business? So it depends. Stuff? It depends, right? So yeah. there's two ways that that's going to happen. One is if you are if you own your job and you work in the business and you are critical to the business operating, you are not going to get to walk away sure. when the business is sold because you're critical. Like you're buying a cash flow. Mm-hmm. And if those relationships are built on you and you think, oh, I can sell this and hand you the keys and nobody knows you, mm-hmm. it's not going to work. And so as an owner, you've got to realize you are the business. Right. And so you got to go with it. So one of the things I did in that that time frame is I worked myself out of a job, right? So we had people and systems and years, right? Mm-hmm. Years. It didn't happen overnight uh, to where, you know, my job was to steer the boat, be the the utter the rudder that that directed it not to get in there and actually push buttons. Sure. So the company that acquired me was much larger than me and they had people a president, a CEO, a management team that was doing what I was doing. Guess what? I'm not needed. Yeah. So I got the check and I got to be done. Sweet. I was done. That it, that it, doesn't happen when you have quote unquote small main street business. Right. And that's what people want. Yeah. And if you want that then you have to put systems in place to where you are not needed. So that's a misnomer that I think a lot of people always want. They always hope it's going to happen. But if you don't have, if you haven't built that business, you're not going to get that. Yeah. That check. There, uh, there was a guy I called a few months ago. He was in financial trouble and I was trying to buy his business from him. And he was explaining to me, you know, what contracts he had, um, the inventory he had on his lot he explained to me the the number of employees that he had and how his whole business operated. And uh, just listening to him, I was like, I know you think your business is worth this much, yeah, but it's it's not worth anything actually, because right. if there's no cash flow coming in, if there's you know meager margins, all that stuff, and you don't have really any processes or systems that that help you scale out, there's not much you can do. You'd you'd be better off bootstrapping it and starting from scratch. Completely, and that probably happens a lot more than lot not more. people come to you and are like, my business is worth this much. And you're like, um, actually this is not what people look for. Totally. And so I'm sure there's a lot of coaching on your end that teach yeah. people like, Hey, you got to build the systems and the processes and the people before somebody's going to want to buy this thing. Yeah. Because if not, you're just handing them steaming pile of crap. So. And, and the, the fun thing about what I do is like, I get to, see behind the curtain mm-hmm. of a lot of the Oklahoma city businesses. Yeah. And, and you, you look at these businesses and you admire them and you think, oh, the grass is greener on the other side. But as you peel back the curtain and you see their financials and they're not organized, they don't have systems, they're not making the money that mm-hmm. they appear to be. You realize that a lot of entrepreneurs are in the same boat. Yeah. They're really struggling to figure it out. And just a handful really do yeah. figure it out. And I think, as you think about exiting, people want to get this huge check that's going to allow them to never work again. Sure. But the reality is selling a business a lot of times doesn't give you infinite wealth to be able to retire. Right. It just means you get to go do the next thing. Yeah. And when a a business owner is like, I'm going to sell my business and it has to produce millions that's not the reality. Yeah. Every business can sell, but not every business will. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. There, uh, yeah. But the process, you, you asked the question of, you know, what is it like? So the process is yeah, so, tell so, us, tell us about so, your story. so stressful. Yeah. You know, sleepless nights, 
um, you know, when you get into the point of where you're doing the quote unquote due diligence mm-hmm. and, you know, you're, you're working behind the scenes because, you, you know, employees can't know, vendors can't know, customers can't know. It's like you just feel like you're carrying this burden around mm. that nobody knows about except you. And literally nobody knows about it except me. And it was so stressful that if it hadn't have gone through, I would have probably just handed the keys and said, here, you can have it. <laughs> because you didn't <laughs> because, want to deal with it anymore. Because you're so vested mm. and it is so complicated of a situation there's back and forth and there's things that you care about that they don't and vice versa and you know that's where i just started to do what i'm doing is because it's such a debauchery yeah. of unorganization that you know 50 percent of all deals that have an agreed upon price fall through 50 percent, 20 percent of businesses in the small main street market actually sell the rest close, you know, family takes over mm-hmm. and key management takes, you know, buys in. Well, how many family members are going into the family business nowadays? Not that many. Yeah. You know, key management, that's a few. So majority close. So question for you is obviously you got to take a peek behind the financials and all of that of yeah. most Oklahoma City businesses. How many businesses off what percentage off the top of your head actually turn a profit? Mm. I, you know, I don't know, but, uh, what happens is a lot of these business owners are are really working for a meager per hour wage. Mm-hmm. What, what ultimately what it ends up being. What I mean by that is they might be doing one or two million in top line revenue, but they're taking a couple hundred bucks a week for themselves. They're paying, yeah, they're paying. Let's say they're paying themselves thirty thirty five thousand dollars a year. Yeah, and that equates to four dollars and thirteen cents an hour when you figure out how much they're working and they, they say, oh, well, I own the property. Okay, great. Do you, and does the business pay you rent? Oh no, we can't afford it. So you're literally working for free and you're a landlord that's not charging rent. Right. So when you normalize the financials and say, let's put a normal wage of a, of a person that's gonna come off the street with the skill sets to run this business, oh, well, they get paid 75,000. You get paid thirty. You know, there's forty five thousand difference. That's yeah. reduction in your bottom line. Oh, your rent, fair market rent, is two thousand dollars a month. Well, that's twenty four thousand dollars a year. Reduce. So that's where business owners are really not. Uh, I don't know. They're, they're just not doing the the right thing. Mm-hmm. And, and and if you get a business that is sellable, most likely you're going to enjoy running it, and you might not ever sell it. Yeah. It'll cash flow you enough money to to do the things you want to do, and the systems are in place, and the headaches kind of go away, and it's like, wow, okay, I don't want to sell this, and that's that's a great position to be in. Yeah, my father-in-law says one of his biggest regrets is selling his company because yeah, it was just cash flowing him and his business partners or his brothers quite a bit of money, and then as soon as they uh, as soon as they kill the cow, they take the meat, so it's you know good eating while the meat's there, but. You know, they wish they they milked the cow a little bit more and just kept drinking the milk instead of killing the cow for the meat. Yeah, interesting. So, you know, I tell people, like, if you don't know with 100% certainty what you're going to do after the sell, don't sell. Yeah. If, it, like, you know, you, your dad in that scenario, he probably was like, I don't really know what I want to do. Then I would recommend not selling. Yeah. You've got to know. And if you say, oh, I'm going to play golf, you know, that that's fun for two weeks. 
and then he gets pretty old. And then what? You know? You've really like you're working so hard in the business and all of your energy and you a lot of times your identity is wrapped around that. And to say that's gonna go away and you're gonna be fine, that's a lie that entrepreneurs tell themselves. You're gonna wanna get back in the hunt. Yeah. And you're gonna wanna be active. Yeah. That's a, I talk to a lot of people and most well off people that I know that are retired say retirement's way overrated. Yeah. And they have their hand in, in something else anyway. You're going to be you know? busy. Yeah. It's If you're an entrepreneur at heart, like for me, work is my hobby. I love yeah. working and yeah. I don't have another hobby. If if I don't have enough work to do with the four businesses that I have, I'm going to start a podcast because what the hell. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I like working. Yeah. I, like, I like to yeah. stay busy. Um, so how did you get into, so you sold your business, yeah. you cashed out. Mm-hmm. Um, you said that most people should have a next step. Did you have a next step planned out when you sold? Yeah, so I had I had next steps, but the funny thing is those next steps didn't work out. That's not what I ended up doing. What did you um, try to do? So I, I thought I was going to be a college professor. Okay. I thought I was going to work for my church. Nice. Um, both of which those avenues at the time, uh, I, you know, once I got into doing those, I was like, okay, this isn't what for me. And very quickly go, oh man, I got the itch. I got the itch. I got the itch. I want to grow. I want to build. I want to be involved. You get back in the game. So yeah, I, the, the idea of, you know, I thought, oh, well, I'm going to invest in young people and, and teach. God bless people that want to do that. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> wired for that. I'm not wired for that. It didn't work out. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> that's that's not me. So yeah. so how'd you get into find like like the brokering of businesses and and commercial real estate and everything like that? Yeah. So you know, I knew my experience was such a mess, uh-huh. uh, and you know, it ended up being the greatest thing that happened to me. But I, you know, I, again, I said I didn't know if it was going to go through the the day we closed or not. Uh-huh. So I wanted to create a system again. I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. I'm just going to try to make a better mousetrap. So I said, okay, here are things that I struggled with in selling my business. You know, finding multiple buyers. If you don't have multiple buyers and you just got one person at the table, that's not a good situation. Mm -hmm. They're controlling the shots. Um, The process needs to be fast. Like, it shouldn't take a year. It shouldn't take six months. You need to have all of your stuff together and get it organized and get moving. And the closing should move fast. Sure. If people are dragging it out, they're literally milking you. And I have seen people who buyers come and literally raid their customers, their employees for the whole purpose of they're not going to buy you. They're just coming in to figure out all of your knowledge and then kick you to the can. I've had people come to me and say, that I happens? have been all the time. Really? I have had multiple people come to me and said, hey, the deal fell through. I've been working for a year. And guess what? They've got their eye off the prize. Sales have faltered. Employees have left. The worst case scenario happens. So what I do is I was like, look, I have to bring multiple buyers to the table for my sellers. Because then if something does fall through, mm-hmm. I've got backup plan number two, number three, number four ready. And so I vet the buyers. Um, you know, so I, I don't remember where what the question was that was leading to, but where I was going, but, um, what, uh, so I knew that I needed to do a better way and I wanted to use systems technology, kind of like with the Uber driving Mm -hmm. and things to be like, okay, how can I create a marketplace to be the best business brokering in Oklahoma? So 
figured out systems, figured out a way to do that better, faster, more efficient. Then I was like, well, I wanna sell the real estate in addition to the businesses. So I was like, I gotta become a real estate agent. So I became a real estate agent, mm -hmm. sold property, sold business, sold commercial property. Now I'm a, a real estate broker. Sure. Then I was like, well, I need to be a certified appraiser. I need to be able to do business analysis and value these to where I can stand behind the pricing. So now I'm a certified business analyst and appraiser. So those are the three pillars in my business. And now I use technology in a way that allows me to market the business as effectively and efficiently as I can, mm -hmm. set and tell a good story, and connect buyers and sellers together and get deals done. Um, so it's basically trying to figure out through the problems that I have and have seen how to fix those and help my clients. And so people say like, oh, well, you know, you're expensive. Yeah, I am. But I am expensive, but you're gonna get what you pay for. Yeah. And if you want a deal to close, then come and work with me. If, you know, 0% of a million is zero. Yeah. And you can think your business is worth a million and you can think you're gonna go get that. But if until you get a deal and a check slid across the table, it's worth nothing. Yeah. You can't spend what you don't have. I tell my sales reps all the time, it's like, listen, people like buying from winners. Yeah. And if you don't portray that you're a winner to somebody, why would they want to buy from you? They right. don't want to buy, they don't want to buy a loser. They don't want to buy you right. because of the way you present yourself, because of the confidence you have and stuff like that. And like you said, why are you so expensive? Because your, your, your business is going to get sold. Yeah. With me, it's going to get sold. Right. Which and, is, and I do, I mean, I tell a lot of people, mm -hmm. I can't help you. Which is good. Yeah. Yeah. And you and shoot there, people straight, don't waste their time. And, and there's a, the, you know, there's a more people that I tell no than I tell yes. Right. So that's that's a hard situation to tell somebody, especially when they're 65, 70 years old or a widow mm -hmm. and they've got nothing. They've got no options. So, geez, that's tough. Um, question for you. How how does brokering a business go down from start to finish? Like mm -hmm. like somebody, let's say, you know, for example, me, I come to you and I say, hey, I have this business to sell. And mm -hmm. let's just say that it is sellable. Mm -hmm. um, and you were mentioning earlier, like only 20% of businesses are actually sellable. That's it. So let's say that I'm, I'm a one out of five chance that mm -hmm. this business is sellable. Mm -hmm. So come to you, business is sellable. What What's the process from there? Yeah, so the process is hopefully before ever coming to me, you know, you've read, studied, learned, you know, there's customer concentration, employee concentration, vendor concentration, uh, you know, systems in place, mm -hmm. margins, uh, you know, there's a book called Built to Sell, right? It's a great book. If you want to sell your company, you need to read that because it talks about here's the things to mm -hmm. think about. So hopefully somebody's done some of that work, right? Then you come to me and you say, hey, and say you're one of the five. So my process is, is mapped out. I have systems. We check the boxes as we go. We start with sitting across the table from each other just like this, making sure that we're a good fit for each other. Mm -hmm. We work our way down to closing table and passing the check across the table. So we go through, there's probably 45 steps that I have created that we have to follow to get the deal done. Within those 45 steps, there might be 10 sub-steps under each one, but I control the system so that it happens and flows the right way. So your first you're going to do is you're going to gather up five years of financials, mm -hmm. P&Ls, balance sheets, tax returns, depreciation schedule, 
you're going to send that to me. Then we're going to sit across the table. I'm going to interview you because in an appraisal situation, you've got to know about the internal, external factors that affect the business. Where is the risk? Every business has warts and scars. Tell me about them. Mm -hmm. Do not fabricate some story that you are the world's greatest business because it's not true. I don't believe you. So every business has warts and scars. Tell me. Yeah. Tell me. I'm going to find them eventually. Don't lie to me. Yeah. Um, and when business owners hide the truth and they don't tell me the truth, I will not work with them. Yeah. Because what are you going to do when you're selling a product that you know nothing about or yeah, you're, or there's, you're giving there's, a customer false information when you're trying to sell? And, and I've seen it numerous times of mm. fabricated numbers or like, oh, yeah, we've got this lawsuit pending and it's going to wreck our business and we're going to lose 50% of our customers. Or, yeah, this one guy is 80% of my business and uh, I ticked him off and he went away. Well, yeah, last year's revenue shows him there. But you didn't tell me. So the, anyway, that you've got to just be straight up and honest because it's got to be win-win for everybody. Mm-hmm. All right, so we get the financials. Then we do an appraisal and we start from there. Like I will do an appraisal on your business and that is going to come up with the most probable selling price. If then you agree to that price, my guarantee is within six months, we will have an offer for your business or I will write you a check for the appraisal and you can be done. So how do most businesses purchase when, when you broker businesses, what percentage of people uh, are buying businesses that are actual individuals compared to business owners? Uh, so say that question again. So, so how many businesses are purchased by other businesses okay. versus how many businesses Great. are purchased by individuals? Great question. And I've actually studied and we looked at what we've sold in my company. Mm-hmm. If a business sells for 500,000 to 750, so 750 and below 750,000 and below mm-hmm. 80% of those buyers are first time buyers. Cool. 80%. So people that are just like, I'm not going to start a business. I'm going to go buy a business and work that. That's right. That's right. Uh, if it gets to be a sale price of a million and above, a million to five million, then you get into like 20% are first-time buyers. 50, 60% are mm-hmm. uh, strategic buyers. So they're in the business. Of acquisition. Of acquisition, and yep. Right. And they're wanting to grow, you know. Like they've, they own a pest control. They need another one mm-hmm. geographically. Then when you get to like 10 million and above, that's – that's a whole different ballgame. That's investment buyers. That's private equity firms. That's mm-hmm. PE, you know, and everybody talks about that, but most people aren't going to sell to that. You have to have a unicorn of a business to have that make sense. Yeah. To you. You, I mean, you yeah. got to do a million and a half in EBITDA pre-tax profit, mm-hmm. a million and a half. Uh, that's, that's pretty rare. Sure. Um, and if you've done that, kudos yeah. to you. Yeah. That's a, that's a good business. That's right a good there. business. Yeah. Um, so what's, uh, what's, how long have you been in business with the brokering and the real estate and everything like that? How yeah. Long so started that business? in 2018 mm-hmm. and then evolved and added the real estate evolved and added the, um, appraisal. So now here's where we are today doing all of those services. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we also, so, you know, we'll market a business meaning like, you know, I, I was telling you, I was telling all these business owners, no, I can't help you. No, I can't help sure. you. Um, we'll do an all a cart service where it's like, hey, you're going to pay me a one-time, very small fee. I will market your business through all of my channels, but I'm going to send you all of the buyers and you're going to deal with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's what you get. You can't afford to have me do 
all of the things, it's just not going to make sense. Sure. So we'll do that. So those are the four avenues. And then we'll do buyer repping uh, for people, but that's really got to be a large business that one has the resources to focus on growing through acquisition. So what they'll do is they'll call and they'll say, Hey, I'm, I'm in the pest business. I want to be in, you know, this geographic area, whether it's of Oklahoma or the U S and then we reach out through technologies and services mm-hmm. to say, I have a buyer. Here's who they are. Here's their qualifications, here's what they're looking for. Are you interested in selling? And you're not going to pay me anything because I'm paid by the buyer. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll do those. Those are the avenues of, of work that we do. Just kind of going on the hunt and finding people that want to sell their businesses. Go on the hunt. And so what I've learned is like, okay, I can do this one-on-one. Like I can pick up the phone and call. And now I've started to be able to use technology to be able to do so much of that initial touch point for me mm-hmm. to where I can hit 500, 1,000 immediately. They're doing cold, 500,000 cold contacts for you right there. Yeah. Of those 500 to 1,000 hits, how many people actually ever text you back? Five. Really? There you go. Five Find your leads. So technology has literally reduced your time sitting on the phone by yeah. days, weeks. Yeah. And again, probably. it goes back to the old businesses like, I learned how to do this through another business Mm -hmm. that was doing some technology. And I thought, okay, I think I can do this. I think we can figure out how to write and operate this program to do it ourselves. And that's what you guys have done. That's pretty cool. Uh, So what's the next step for Hank Bacchus? You're running your company now. First of all, what's the market for business acquisitions and sales like right now? Yeah. Is it going crazy or is it? You know, we've had a lot happen over the last three years. I mean, everybody's experienced the same thing. We had COVID. We had mm-hmm. shutdown. We had uh, then we had the SBA and the government literally giving money out. Yeah. Um, so we had huge transactions during COVID because everybody, was everybody had money and everybody yeah. was giving this, you know, PPP money. I mean, I had people that were like, I got $10 million in PPP money. I need to go spend it. Yeah. <laughs> and so we're like, you know, I would not have never predicted that when COVID happened in 2020. So now we're to the point in 2023 where we are at interest rates to get a small business loan of 10 and a half percent. And that's what, that's what it's being quoted yeah, at, right? Yeah, that's the normal price right and, now. And you know, that's jumped up five points in the last two years. And so now that's kind of scaring people off. Um, you know, it's still not a bad deal. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing about it is anytime you sell a business, the cash flow has to support the principal and interest payment. So the bank's not going to write the loan if they That's say right. you can't make the payment. That's right. And, and what's happened is, you know, doing a business evaluation for somebody in 2022 mm-hmm. that then sells in 2023, well, the rate has jumped up one or two points. And so at the time of doing the evaluation, we said, okay, the rate's at eight. Okay, here's what the business can support cash flow to mm. to pay the interval, pay the owner, and get an ROI. We'll tack it up two more points. Oh man, we gotta, we might have to adjust. So yeah. that's happened a time or two. I'm sure you guys have lost quite a few deals because of that too. A lot of people just be like, eh, it's not making sense for me anymore. Yeah, yeah. N- nothing has fallen through. Oh, nothing has good. fallen through. Uh, you know, when falls, when deals fall through, honestly, it's the seller really backing out. Is it just because they feel like the valuation of their business isn't fair because they have emotional attachment to it, or what is it? They're not. They're not ready to sell. So one, we you know we agreed upon the sell price, and Mm -hmm. this is what it's going to sell for. But it's uh, you know like going back to that original thing. It's like, do you know what you're going to do next? Mm -hmm. And so the idea of selling is intriguing, and you know they had a bad day and they're ready to sell, but then when the rubber hits the road, they get cold feet. 
Right. And the, the seller will end up backing out going, no, 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 I, I don't want to do it. And they just don't mesh with the buyer. Right. Um, so that's when it most of the time falls through. Yeah. So uh, going back to a question that I yeah. asked probably five minutes ago. So I have a business. I'm in the 20% demographic that actually it's a sellable business. I come to you. You guys you know, implement all of your processes and stuff like that. Then let's say that the buyer or let's say that that uh, the buyer, let's say you're the buyer, mm-hmm. you want to go get financing. You mm-hmm. go to a bank, mm-hmm. they sit down, mm-hmm. they look at your valuation, mm-hmm. they say, okay, Hank, you know, Dakota's business is in fact making enough cash flow, we'll write you this loan. Mm-hmm. Are there oftentimes businesses that are spitting out more cash than what the monthly payment and principal is? Oh yeah, they have to. Yeah. They have to. So every single time that a business is financed by a bank, you're buying a cash flowing asset. You have to. That that is the primary valuation of small businesses. It is a cash flowing asset, and when you have that's that's it. You're, you I mean you nailed it. It's the the debt to cash position. Sure. Uh, and, and what? Yeah, it has to do that. So if a business it has to spin off. So like for instance, if you 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 buy a, a million dollar business, mm-hmm. you know the principal and interest payment on that is probably going to be. $8,000 a month. Sure. So profit every month minus $8,000. You know, historical profit minus 8000 And it still better be in the black. If it's not, the bank's going to go, yeah, man, I, I, you overvalued this. Yeah. This isn't working. It's math. It's fundamental math. Yeah. There's, there's, no, there's no trick in it. Yeah. It has to support that. I think it's a, an important lesson for, again, viewers to listen and learn is – business for the entrepreneur can be such an emotional roller coaster. I mean, and I'm sure you know this more than anybody, the sleepless nights, yep. the tears. Yep. I've cried so much. Yep. Wake um, up at 2 a.m. The heartbreak, the stress, mm-hmm. the just the days that pass by that you're just like, I don't even know what the heck I'm doing. I'm yeah. just going out there yeah. and just trying to make it work. Yeah. So it is a very emotional process for the entrepreneur, but you know, to the victor goes the spoils, yep. like the reward is also yep. um, awesome. Yep. And it's appreciated and it's valued at a, at a high rate. But you, you make a great point. I think that, you know, people talk about entrepreneur and the people that are watching this podcast or are consuming this mm-hmm. content want to be in this space. But the reality is 99% of people don't do it. Can't handle it. They can't handle it because it's, it's like you said, it's lonely. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it can wreck your marriage. You can wreck your life. You can wreck your financial situation. You can file bankruptcy. But... I believe owning a business in America, in the United States, is the greatest opportunity to path to financial independence. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And, but the reality is not many people have the guts to handle it. Yeah. And, and that's the reality. And that's okay, too. And that's like, okay. It's not, it's not for everybody, but for anybody that's considering being an entrepreneur, just know like heavy is the head that wears the crown. Mm-hmm. The guy that drives a Lamborghini down the street probably deserves a Lamborghini because of all the crap that he's had to go through. Yeah. Um, and it, it just, it really is that way. But uh, the point I'm trying to make is I, I think it's interesting in the buying and selling of assets or businesses is your emotions are valued at $0. Nobody cares about how hard you worked, about how yeah. many sleepless nights, about how much you cried, about how much blood, sweat, and tears you poured into the thing. It's, is it making a profit at the end of the day? And if it's not making a profit, it's worthless. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of people need to, to, to realize that, especially yep. when it comes to evaluating their businesses and trying to sell. Especially with businesses that have heavy assets mm. and heavy asset value. 
So like say you're a manufacturer, right? And you got a warehouse space with tons of equipment to make and mm -hmm. fabricate widgets, mm -hmm. right? You've invested $2 million in that, but your business is shelling off profit of 100,000. Yeah. Well, the $2 million asset value for that equipment that you have, but the 100,000 in profit, it doesn't line up. Yeah. So when you go to sell, you might think, oh, I put $2 million in equipment. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get two million out. It's not. It's not it. Do you? What do you typically? And again, feel free not to answer this question. I don't know how personal yeah. get. What do you typically invest in? What do I invest in? Yeah. So I'm investing 100 percent in my business. So you're just flowing it and growing it that's and right. stuff like that. I guess that's because your hope is at the end of the day, cash out, take yep. my money, roll it yeah. into the next and, thing. And to me, so when and again, people tell me. They call me all the time and they say, "Hey, I want a I want a business that has mailbox money. Mm -hmm. Like, I just want to buy something and I get money in my mailbox every month and I deposit it in my bank account." Okay, I'm going to tell you, take your money, go to a stockbroker and buy a publicly traded company that pays you a dividend. Mm -hmm. That's mailbox money. That's it. Yeah, you're an investor. You're, you're not an a invest business owner. You're not a business owner. Business owner, you are going to get the key and you're going to unlock the door every morning and you're going to flip on the lights. You're going to flip the sign to open and you're going to be involved. Mm -hmm. That's business ownership. If you just want mailbox money, go buy stocks. Yeah, I think a lot of times people, again, misunderstand that money, it can flow in like that and it can yeah. come in. Like there's a lot of people out there that do the drop shipping thing and everything like that and it does cash flow them quite a bit. Um, but really being an investor is where the, the money is made because your ROI for handing somebody else money is whatever percent rate. I had a, an, yeah. a land deal that I just did. I put in $30,000 to buy some land and um, my brother-in-law is a real estate agent there and he divided up the land and was selling it and stuff like that. But he came back to me and said like, hey, you're gonna get your 30 grand back and I made you an extra 15 on top. I gave him money in October yeah. and I'm getting a check now for 15 grand. I didn't have to think or blink or, or lose a wink of sleep or anything about it and I just made that money. And it really opened up my eyes to the possibilities of being an investor over a business owner because business owners, yes, do make money, but they have to grind and put in the blood, sweat, and tears. When you're an investor, you give money and you don't worry or think or whatever, and you have to be willing to take that loss, take that risk, or you yep. know, get paid out that dividend. Yep. And I, so, you know, there are personalities mm -hmm. that, that go well with. That's not my personality. I'm a controller. Like, uh, and so when you like do multiple investings and say you have a portfolio of 10 businesses right. that you own 10% each in. Right. Yeah. You got to be willing to know that maybe one or a half are going to hit right. and pay you back. Nine and a half are going to lose. So you got to be able to stomach that. And then you, ha you have to give up the control. Right. You know, and I don't do that well. Yeah. It's, um, that's a tough thing to do in general. Um, so what's, what's the plan? What does the next five years look for for you. Yeah. So we're going to just continue to grow and we're going to be the absolute best at what we do uh -huh. um, and be the market leader. Right now, I'm just Oklahoma. Uh -huh. You know, I envision that we can expand this and go into other geographic areas. Wow. Um, I, I don't want to, nor can I, take on somebody that is not within the Oklahoma border. Sure. Um, just for time. Yeah. You know, my time is my biggest resource that I don't have enough of. Yeah. So we're creating the systems and the policies and the procedures internally to be where I can turn that out faster. Um, and I look, I like creating these dreams and these opportunities for people that might not have ever thought selling was possible. Yeah. And by doing that job well done, 
I want to sell a business today and sell it 10 years, 15 years from now. Yeah. Because the buyer trusted me to help them buy it. They've done what they needed to do. Now they're ready to exit. Guess what? They're going to call me again. Right. And I've earned that trust. My reputation is what I live on. Mm -hmm. I live and work in Oklahoma. So therefore, this is where I'm going to do business. And so I, I can't stab anybody in the back. You've got to do the right thing the next time, every time. And when I do that, then the rest will fall into place. So for business owners that live in Oklahoma, considering selling their business sometime in the near future, what advice do you have for them right now? Uh, read the book, Built to Sell. Okay. Uh, reach out to me through my website. I will send you multiple documents that are going to tell you, hey, here's how an evaluation is done. Mm -hmm. Here are the things that uh, we're going to look at. Mm -hmm. um, and here are things that you can do right now mm -hmm. to get your business in a position to sell. So ask questions. Ask questions of experts that have done it, I would say. That would be my advice. Just find expert help, expertise. Yeah. To and a lot of times, like, process. I'm more than happy to talk to people about that, right? So right. a lot of time of my day is just that. You know, if I get 100 people that call me in a month and say, hey, I'm interested in selling, I'll have conversations with probably 50%. 50% you are just kicking tires. Yeah. 50% I have a conversation, but of those 50%, then only two or three actually go through the process of selling. So the the 48% are wanting to know, wanting to learn. And then when I tell them and I show them and I give them the resources, mm -hmm. they go, I'm not there. I'm not there. So I want to put them in a position to know, and then I want to introduce them to people that can help them. That's awesome. That's not me, because I'm not going to be that person. You're not going to be the guy that fixes the business, nope. but you'll be the guy that tells them it needs fixing. Yep. Um, if you could go back, let's say, how old are you? I'm sorry. Hank? 42. 42. I don't, do Dude, I if I look like you at 42, oh, I would be. I got four kids. Bro, you're a smoke show. Look oh at you. Oh, my gosh. 42. Dang. Uh, I have I have a 13-year-old down to a one-and-a-half-year-old. So we got kids from the span, the whole thing. It is crazy. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. But if I looked like you at 42, oh my same thing, I'd be, I'd be flying no, high. I'm so old. <laughs> um, if you could go back 20 years to yourself, you know, or uh, let's say to when you were a kid and give yourself any advice, looking back on all the years and all the experience business-wise, yeah. um, life-wise, what advice would you give to that person? Man, so I'm speaking to myself here. I'm looking in the mirror. I would say, one, you know, you're good enough. Yeah, You're good enough. Because as an entrepreneur, we're hardwired to think, I'm only as good as my next achievement. Mm -hmm. And that's the way that I've lived my life. Yeah, Whether it was with sports or with business, or life or family, it's constantly thinking I have to one up mm -hmm. the last deal. Why do you think that is? Because I feel the same way. I, think, I never I think, feel like what I do is enough, and I feel like I always have to take on more. Where does that come from? You know, it's it's got to be as we're raised, right? As a as a kid, and I've got the greatest two loving parents um, in the world. I could yeah. not have asked for better parents. Yeah. I and I just think I learned. In order to get their love, I've got to do. Uh -huh. I don't know. I'm just making this up. But I think, yeah. and so that's the life that I have lived, and I still live this today at 42. It's like, what's next? What do I do that I can one-up the last deal? So I would say, you're good enough. Yeah. Um, and then I would say, be careful with the people that you, quote-unquote, get in bed with. 
Be careful with your partners. Be careful with the people that you choose to lock in and do business with. Mm. Um, for two reasons: one, that's your that's your reputation. If they do something that can drag you through the mud, you know. I always said, you know, I want to be able to lay my head down on the pillow at night and know that if they're going to report about me in the news, it's going to be good. Yeah. And then two is just as you think about partnership. You know, the only ship that sinks is partnership. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard working with people. And so being careful who you take on as a business partner because my dad was very successful with his business partner. Mm -hmm. Um, I chose the path of no business partner. I'm just speaking to just a few people. And that would be my advice. Hank. Thank you for coming on the show, man. Good stuff, Dakota. No, I really, really appreciate it. You've been one of the more enlightening guests that I've had as far as like into the financial space of business and everything like that. But it's fun to talk um, about. It's it's awesome. If you guys have the pleasure of meeting Hank, um, if you guys are looking to sell your business in Oklahoma City, he's definitely the guy to hit up. Uh, just my first impression of Hank when he walked in the door this morning was like, this guy is put together. <laughs> and the, another thing too, that I, I noticed about you and our last guest, Michael, and you know, our, our last guest, Jimmy is you have the fire in your eyes. There's, right. there's like, I got to keep growing. I got to keep building. I got to keep getting after it. There's excitement. And so I'm excited for you and, and, and your endeavors and your future and everything. Yeah. And I, you know, I wish you the best, man. Yeah, like, thank you. So thank th- you. thanks for coming on the show and thanks, we Dakota. appreciate you.